I was uh, listening to a particular song. I asked Ryan, oh, sorry, frightened, to, uh, to put it back up there. And I, you can't help but, but think, when you think about Christ as our anchor, Hebrews, Hebrews six nineteen. this hope, tell me this hope in Christ, we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, one which enters within the veil. I had the privilege, um, my, growing up, my grandfather had a place, play, a beach house, a beach at uh, Emerald Isle, North Carolina. And I remember a storm came through one time, and it was, it was a powerful storm. And the shutters, the windows shook, wind blew. And it was a great storm, but one thing I remember the most is getting up the next morning, and it was all through the night, getting up the next morning, and my grandfather had a deck on top of his house, and we'd go up on the deck, and you could see the ocean, and the ocean was just a perfect calm after the storms. And, and it, it stuck with me, and as we were singing that, this song this morning, thinking about you know, the storms of life, as the song was talking about, but I was just thinking about you know, the, the things we go through in this life, at times are tough, you know, there's suffering, there's trials, there's despair, but... Yet there will be that, that great calm when we, when we see the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will be a, a sea of glass with no more waves, no more storms. So I just, just thought about that this morning as I was singing that song. Thank you, Brighton. You can, you can cut that off. So we're going to be continuing in Colossians chapter 3. This is a practical section of Colossians. Paul has dealt with the false teachers, and he's dealt with the false teachers not by addressing every little thing that they've taught, but he's dealt with the false teachers by referring these believers to the supremacy of Jesus Christ above everything else. He's dealt with these false teachers by dealing with or pointing out the, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And Paul even makes the statement in Colossians 2 that, that Jesus Christ is the, is the central aspect of his ministry, the gospel, the mystery revealed to us, the church. He's made the point over and over that we are new creations in Christ Jesus. He says in verse 1 of chapter 3 that if we have been raised up with Christ, and then the rest of chapter 3 is then what? Then live out your faith. You're to have new affections. Your heart is to be directed towards the things above in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3, and not towards the things below of this earth. Our mindset is to be directed towards Christ. And with that, a new affections, a new heart, a new mindset, we're to live out our lives in Christ, in union with Him. We're to deny the fleshly impulses that still beset us, that still remain even though we are a new creation in Christ. And that's where the rest of the chapter comes in. He says, he says consider your earthly body as dead to these things. And basically, we, we, we mortify those impulses in our minds before they become sinful actions. And then he says, you put away that anger. So he gives two different types of impulses. The, the greed in our hearts where we want something so bad above what God has given us that we're willing to sin to get it. Or anger that we, we, we take a, a perceived wrong and it turns into hatred for our brother or our sister. But he said, we put on a new self. And on that new self is... We basically put on Christ's likeness and to live out what we know in our daily lives. He says there's no distinction. We're no longer divided and separated like the world separates us into small groups. We're all united in Christ. There's no longer nationalities. There's no longer ethnicities. There's no longer religious groups. There is one people united together in Christ. And he said, look, if you have been renewed, if you've been given a new identity, then the peace of Christ will rule in your hearts. And it's y'all, it's a plural, all of our hearts, the peace of God will rule in our hearts. We'll treat each other what, with love. We'll, we'll seek peace. And then the Word of Christ will dwell within, richly within us, individually and corporately, as our focus. And then he gets down to verse 17 and he says, you've been given a new purpose in life. You have a new identity Right? In Christ Jesus. And your new purpose is to do everything 
in word or deed in the name of Jesus Christ. You do something in Christ's name, you're doing it for His honor, for His glory. The Westminster Confession says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's our new purpose on this earth as believers in Christ. Well, that new purpose has an effect, has a change, has a, has, is a direct correlation to how we treat other people. Verse 14, Paul says, put on the, the bond of love. That's how we're to treat each other. Well, that new bond of love, that, that loving Christ's likeness, that agape love affects our relationships. And that's what I've been talking about over the last few weeks. We talked about Body Life 101. Last week we talked about uh, wives and husbands and, and marriage 101 and how, how Christ affects the way we live our lives as husbands and wives. Christ calls wives to lovingly submit to their husband's leadership, to be his helpmate. Husbands, he calls us to, to love our wives as Christ loves his church, his bride. And that affects how we treat each other. And it marks us out as different from the world. Well, today we're going to be looking at Parenting 101. I'm continuing the 101 series. And we're going to be looking at Parenting 101. And I'd like to go ahead and look at the text. And then we'll, we'll dig into it a little bit more. But if you look down in verse... Well, we'll let's start at verse 18. Because 18 through 21 is, is one section. And I want to show you how it fits together. But verse 18 of chapter 3 Wives, be subject to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Never forget my son and the introduction to his Sunday school class. Um, Alex was telling me, he said, Hi, my name is Arden and I like to sneak treats. And then, uh, or, or I telling my son not too long ago, saying, Arden, you, know, you, have, to, you have to obey. And he, and he looks at me and he says, it's hard to obey, Dada. Or when he was three years old, I asked my son, I said, you know, why didn't you obey your mom? And he says, well, sometimes I feel like obeying and sometimes I don't. And unless you think I'm just relating all my son's sayings, my daughter recently her mom said, Addie, you need to go pick up your toys in your room. And very politely, she said, no, mama. Have you ever been a parent or a child? Parenting is hard work, right? I was on the roof before we moved, looking at our evaporative cooler, getting it ready for the summer season, or the, sorry, the winter season. And um, I climbed up on the roof with a ladder. And my son goes, Dada, can I, can I get on the roof? Can I climb the ladder and get on the roof? I promise I won't jump off. <laughs> well, parenting is hard work. And I'm, I'm sure you've either experienced these things or if you don't have kids, you've heard these conversations with parents have with their kids. But, you know, frankly, parents today are frustrated. They're discouraged. They're confused with the difficulty of raising a child in this world. And then they live in fear. So many parents of those teenage years. In order to help with these feelings, the amount of parenting books has skyrocketed. You walk any, into any bookstore and you'll see not just an, an aisle, you'll see sections on how you can be a quote-unquote good parent. But sadly, the church has chosen to and the methods of the culture rather than offer a biblical alternative. Because see, all human methods have really two things in common. The first thing is that the human mind is the standard. It's what human men and women come up with, and these may even be smart, intelligent human men and women, and they, they come up with on parenting. And the Bible calls that man's wisdom. Human methods. Right? The second aspect to human methods is a, is a belief in the child that the heart is morally neutral. You guys have heard of the nurture versus nature debates when it comes to how kids turn out. But one thing those, those debates don't take into account of is the human heart. Right? Children are not inanimate objects. They respond to stimuli. Right? And those children have sinful hearts. So any parenting method that doesn't deal with the human heart is humanistic and man-based. Because if we only deal with behavior modification as parents, 
then we are producing, even as, as Christians, we are producing Pharisees. Because we produce kids that are obedient on the outside and look really good and religious, but what are the Pharisees, what were they on the inside? Jesus said they're like tombs full of dead men's bones. Their hearts were, were wicked and evil on the outside. They looked religious. And see, as a Christian parent, we, we don't want to raise Pharisees. It's not our goal. We don't want kids that are outwardly obedient and docile, but inside they're dead and separated from God. I had a casual look at Quran, and I found 1,517 entries under, quote-unquote, Christian parenting. Looked under Christian book distributors, or CBD, and that one lost 942 results. Now, I'm not going to knock all those books because I believe that it's good for us to seek wisdom. But we need to be careful with those books because a lot of them copy the world's methods, and they copy the world's approach to quote-unquote Christian parenting. You need to look for books that teach biblical parenting. And there's some really good ones that I can recommend to you if you want to talk to me later. So what are the parents to do? I know that many, even Christians, live in fear of what our culture will do and what our culture is today in regards to our parenting. We look at the culture and we say, well, I don't want my kids to be inundated with the, the, the pollution and the filth that is around us. And then we have other parents, not only do they live in fear, but they also live in guilt. And they say, well, I've made mistakes in my parenting. What do I do? Are those early years, I didn't, I didn't follow that biblical pattern. And, that they, and they'll excuse their kids' current behavior because of the guilt they feel over the mistakes they made when they were younger. Or they look at their adult children and they blame themselves and say, my son wouldn't have turned out this way if I had been a better parent. Well, what does the Bible say in regards to these things? And one of the things I, I want to mention as we think about the world we live in is I'd like to m- mention just a little bit of context to what the Colossians themselves were facing. And one thing to remember that every one of these Colossian believers did not grow up in a Christian home, right? These are, these are first-generation believers that came out of paganism. Because the the Roman Empire they lived in, the city of Colossae, idolatry and sorcery were rampant. If you want to read about the sorcery, read read the account in Acts of Ephesus. Ephesus was about 100 miles away, right? It It was full of sorcery and magic and idolatry. People were superstitious and they allowed these superstitions to dominate their lives. Temple prostitution, child slavery... Abortion, infanticide were all widely pr- uh, practiced. Children, children if they, they were loved, if they were legitimate children, but if they were illegitimate, often they were put outside the city gates and allowed to be exposed to the elements. Or they were picked up by slavers and they became tools to be used. See, parents employed also household tutors that educated and trained their children. Many, many parents would, would employ these tutors and they would do it so they could pursue their own desires, would not have to worry about being restrained by their children. Children were a nuisance and a hindrance to their desires and what they wanted to enjoy. In fact, if you read of writers at that time, many Roman writers, pagans, even lamented the fact that so many Roman mo- mothers were turning over even the simplest duties like breastfeeding to to tutors and slaves and nurses, even right after birth, they were turning over their motherly duties to others. I would say that that culture that the Colossians lived in, our culture mirrors that culture in many ways. Well, what is a Christian parent to do? And really the answer for Christian parents is the Word of God. It's our answer as Christians individually, and it's our answer as Christian parents. The beginning of wisdom comes what? From a fear of the Lord. What's the fear of the Lord? It's, a, it's the worship and understanding of who God is and what He's done. And so when you think about your parenting, just like your marriage, it begins with your walk with Jesus Christ. Paul says in Colossians 3, 1-4 that your affections and your mindset are to be heavenward and Christ-focused. These new affections, these new, this new mindset is only because of your fact, sorry, the fact that you have been redeemed by Christ and you are in union with Him. 
Your purpose is no longer to gratify the desires of the flesh, but to pursue what? The glory of Jesus Christ. So you want to be loving parents? Then concentrate, first of all, on your biblical marriage. Right? That's the first thing that you have to focus on is our new purpose translating to a new home life. The husband and wife, if they are in submission to Christ, you remember last week we talked about if the husband and wife are in submission to Christ, is the only way they're able to live out the biblical commands that God's giving. Wife lovingly submit to her husband in his leadership. What, husbands loving your wife sacrificially like Christ loved the church? That only happens if both parties are submitting to Christ themselves. Parents, in order for you to be godly parents, because there's no such thing as a good parent. Only God is good. Only you be, in order for you to be godly parents, you must be godly yourselves. You must be walking with the Lord Jesus Christ to have the wisdom that He gives to help you in your marriages and help you in your parenting. We're going to be looking at two points this morning. We're going to look at two points that Paul makes. He says, obedience of children brings honor to Christ in verse 20. And then verse 21, parents, Christian parents' child-rearing brings honor to Christ. Just two points, very simple. So when you think about this particular section, we think about it's the context of Christ's lordship, right? Our affections and our mindset have changed. I love what verse 11 says. It says, Christ is all and he is in all. <coughs> Excuse me. So Christ is all. He's the most important thing to us. He's, he's the most important thing. And if He's the most important thing, he's going to, it's going to affect how we live. When you want something really bad, <clears throat> you will move heaven and earth. <coughs> You'll move heaven and earth to get it. All right? Bright, will you give me a cup of water? Thanks. Yeah, I'm sorry. <clears throat> when, you, when you want something so bad, you will move heaven and earth to get it. You would do whatever it takes. And if Christ is all, then you want to obey Christ, right? You want to serve Him. You want to have your life be a life that glorifies the Lord. And so Christ is all. You have a new purpose. You know, Arden and I were putting together some Legos, or actually he was putting together Legos, and he was doing a great job. He was building this truck. Thank you. He was building a truck. And the back end of the truck kept falling off. And he, and he got frustrated. And he came to me and said, Dada, Dada, I need your help. And I said, well, what's going on? And he said, look, it, and it would fall off. And he was trying to hold it on. And I looked at him and I said, well, Arden, I can't tell, but is it missing a piece? And he goes, I don't think so. I've been following the instructions. And I said, well, you need to go check. Go back and look through your instructions and see if you've missed a piece. And sure enough, he missed a piece, and when he installed it correctly, it worked like it was meant to. Ladies and gentlemen, when you live your lives with Christ as the central piece of your life, things will work the way God intends. Right? Christ is central to your marriages. Your marriages will be glorifying the Lord. And Christ is central to your marriages. You will be godly parents. So, when you think about our marriages, when you think about Christ, the first thing, uh, sorry, think about children. The first thing that Paul says is, is, is children, obey your parents. And it's interesting because he, like last time, he addresses children publicly, right? These are children that would have been still in the home, right? Old enough to understand what, what Paul's talking about. So you're talking about kids, you know, maybe seven, eight, nine years old that could understand the fact that here Paul is talking directly to them as they read the Word of God in the service. But he addresses children. Now, children at that time were, were to be seen and not heard, right? Kind of like wives. Wives weren't allowed to go to public events, right? Other than religious ceremonies, women weren't allowed. If you're a Greek woman, you weren't allowed to go to any political meetings, right? And so Paul elevates women by addressing them directly, and then he elevates children. Children are no longer just property, just tokens. Paul addresses them directly, and he says, Children, obey your parents, or be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord, in verse 20. So these are children who are still under provision and protection of their parents. To be obedient means to follow, to do as one is told. And this is a habitual practice. 
right? It needs to be. And so when parents, when we think about what is obedience, we want to to hold our children to the biblical standard and we teach them obedience. What is obedience? Well, obedience is without challenge. Obedience is without delay. And obedience is without excuse, right? It takes time. It takes effort to train our kids to be obedient. If they don't learn submission to authority from you, who are they going to learn it from, right? They're learning that there are authorities that God has placed in their life and they must obey. And we have to teach our kids without challenge, without delay, without excuse. And you know what? That's hard as parents. It requires a lot of reinforcements, right? If they don't do it immediately, then we're training them what? We're training them that obedience, they can, sorry, they can obey in their own time frame, right? If, we, if they delay, my wife has, a, has coined a phrase, she, she says to our kids and says to me, you know, partial obedience is no obedience. It's kind of like indecision is a decision, right? My wife's got some good sayings. So partial obedience is, is disobedience. It's not obedience, Without excuse, data, I want to do, but data, but data, but data. No, you obey. Son, I'm teaching you to obey because if you don't learn submission to me, you don't learn how to obey from me, who are you going to learn it from? God says you to obey your parents. In fact, he says if you obey, things will go really well for you. See, they are being taught by you to submit. Grandparents, you have a great opportunity. Some of your, your grandchildren may or may not be believers, you're helping them as well, reinforcing what their parents are teaching. Those of you that don't have kids, right? One of the things Beth and I, God, for a long time, decided not to have us have kids, right? We had a few miscarriages. We thought we weren't going to be able to have kids. And then God blessed us with Arden and then Adelaide. But one of the things we decided is we were going to be involved in other people's lives who had kids to help them, one, to learn from them, but also be an assistance because parenting is hard. We were involved in children's ministries because we wanted to help other parents and serve other parents. So we're teaching our kids to be obedient. And one thing you need to remember, and this is something we often forget as parents, and I forget it myself, is that your child is responsible for their own sin, right? As parents, we like to take it all upon ourselves and say, well, if they don't act a certain way or they do this or they don't do that, or if they grow up and they're not obedient to the Lord, then, then it's all falls back on me. But your kids have to make their own decisions with regards to their salvation and their sin. They're held responsible individually. You're held responsible for guiding them, as we're going to talk about in a little bit, training them. But ultimately, they make their own choices. I love what Paul says, and if you want to flip over from my Bible, it's about eight pages back to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Now, in the New Testament, there's only two passages on Christian parenting. All right, the one we're talking about in Colossians and Ephesians 6. Okay, only two passages. In Ephesians 6, Paul echoes a lot of what he's saying here, and he actually adds on a little bit, and that's why I want to read it. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll look at verses 1 through 4. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then he includes the Old Testament command. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So when you think about here, and you think about Paul's including this quote from Deuteronomy 5, 16, so that it may be well with you. If you can imagine it, and I've taken this, and I think this is a great way to describe it from uh, Paul Tripp in his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. He says there's, there's a circle of obedience. If you can imagine a circle around you, right? And if your kids remain in that circle, if they obey and honor you as they're commanded to do, what will happen? They will receive the blessing. Things will go well with them. They are the direct beneficiaries of their own obedience. And that's what we have to teach them. Right? Disobedience means they move outside that circle, and they move outside that circle. That's a place of, of danger. It's a place where things will not go well for them. Tell so my son, you're being disobedient, things are not going well for you. Right? Because obedience brings blessing, and disobedience brings discipline. So when you think about rebelliousness and disobedience, it's, a dangerous, it's dangerous to them because they're outside that circle that God has told them to remain. And it's also one other thing it's doing. 
When you disobey God's word, and that's ultimately what kids do as they disobey you, they harden their hearts. And so as parents, we teach our kids obedience, but we do it from the standpoint of we focus in on their hearts. If you create a list of rules and regulations, and a lot of parents do, and we've done it at times, where you do, you know, you do rewards for obedience, and you like stickers or money or whatever you're trying to get your kids to do, and you, you stick mainly to those things, and kids learn that if they do, if they act a certain way, and they do quote-unquote good things according to you, and they follow your standard, then they will receive blessings. But you do nothing to address the what? The sinfulness in their heart. You're teaching them to conform to your standard. Now, there's nothing wrong in the sense of using those things to help your, you and your parenting to teach your kids obedience. But what you have to remember is that for every sin that they commit, and that's what it is, every act of defiance or disobedience, there's a heart issue involved. Right? When my son tells me, um, when I say, Arden, I need you to pick up your toys, but Dada, I don't want to, or no Dada, or he drags his feet. What is it? Well, he wants his own way. He's selfish, self-centered. Right? When, when he's fighting with his sister, what is he doing? He's, he's enjoying that control over her, right? He, he's enjoying the fact that he can get her to do what he wants with his, by his own strength and his own power. He's dominating her. He's controlling her. He's, he's not loving her as Christ loves His church. Sorry, he's not loving her as God loves Him with that agape love. Loving others is more important than Himself. So you have to go back to those heart issues and not focus strictly in on the actions themselves. We teach our kid obedience. And one thing I want to say about that, just real quick, is kids when they're really young, right? My, my daughter Addie, four years old and younger, what are we teaching? We're just teaching them simple obedience. All right, I can't sit down and, Addie, let me talk to you about why you're sinful in my 10-minute speech. Now, I, may, I will address that and say, Addie, you're being selfish, right? Are you loving others the way God wants you to love others is more important than yourself? Are you honoring your father and mother? I have a very limited window for our attention is, oh, look, a butterfly, right? You have a very limited window. But as they grow, my son now, I'm able to sit down. We're able to talk about, all right, why is it that you sneak treats? Why do you think you sneak treats? What are you feeling at that moment? What are you thinking at that moment? Right? As they grow, we're able to we'll deal more with those heart issues. Right? And that's where the gospel comes in. That's where grace comes in. So be careful as parents that you don't focally, fo- sorry, focus solely on behavior. Otherwise, you're raising a Pharisee. And I know none of you and none of my, and myself, that's not what we want. We want to teach them as they disobey. And this gets to the heart of the issue. And this is where the gospel commends that they can't obey. I'm teaching my, my son. We're, we're teaching him the, the law. We're teaching him the Ten Commandments. And that's a good thing. You teach him who, who God is, what God's standard is. Not your standard, God's standard. right? And then as they come into contact with that standard, they understand that they're sinful. And they understand what? They need a Savior. So when I talk to my son and I'm talking to him about, hey, why do you sneak in treats? And we talk about what does God's Word say about stealing and lying? Well, he says, well, he understands why I'm, I'm breaking God's law, right? And then, he, and then recently he told me, he said, well, Dad, I, I, I can't obey. I'm like, you're right. That's it. Perfect. You can't obey. Just like we couldn't obey the law, right? We can obey the law. Right? We were, anyone, who doesn't, anyone who breaks any part of the law is cursed. And if you're under a curse, right, you're destined for what? Hell. Separation from God. We couldn't obey the law. Why do we think our kids can? They can't. And that's what we want them to see. You, you can't obey. And you know what? There's a remedy. Jesus Christ obeyed the law perfectly in your place. And if you believe in Him, what? He forgives you of your sin. He restores your separation from God. He, what? He gives you the ability, the power to follow and obey Him. So we, you see that, that, that Godward focus, that heart focus is where we want to be as parents and grandparents. Even helping our, our parents, sorry, even helping our friends' kids as we deal with them, help them to see that it goes back to their behavior, it goes back to the heart issues. So we give them the law, but we must always refer back to the grace of God in the gospel. Law teaches them that they are sinners. Galatians 3.24 says that the law acts as a tutor 
to lead us to Christ. The, the law shows us how sinful we really are. Paul even is interesting in Romans. He says, look, I didn't even know I was a bad coveter or how greedy my heart was until I read in God's law that I was greedy and covetous. And then when, that, when I read that, then I became even more greedy. Right? Sin, sin showed me my, my heart was revealed just how sinful I really was and how much I needed a Savior and how much under God's condemnation I really was. So we have to have a Godward focus. Keep pointing them back to the gospel because Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is desperately wicked. Romans 3, 23, We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know these truths, right? We believe those truths. Greg's anniversary of him coming to, to hold those truths dear. Well, we, we need to teach our kids those gospel truths and not just focus in on their behavior, right? And one thing to remember, too, as they grow older, there's a, there's a scale, right? As they go older, we have, when they're young, we have tremendous amount of authority. They do what they, we say. They haven't got a choice. And as they grow older, that, uh, that level of authority decreases. But one thing increases, our influence. So it's like an inverted scale. Authority when they're young, and as they grow older, it decreases. And our influence as Christian parents increases, to the point where when they're young adults, still our children, but when they're young adults, we have very little authority to tell them what to do. But we still have a tremendous influence in their lives. We still go back to the heart. I was reading about the apostrophe society the other day, right? Apostrophe society. It was a society dedicated to preserving the correct use of the apostrophe and I read recently the Apostrophe Society shut down. I was very sad. Retired journalist John Richards, no relation, at 96, definitely no relation, started the society in 2001 to make sure that the much abused, quote unquote, was being used correctly. He said that he's shutting it down because one, he's 96 and he wants to do other things, and that's understandable. But he said, I love this, quote, ignorance and laziness have won because, end quote, fewer people care about the apostrophe anymore. Well, brothers and sisters, I don't want laziness and ignorance to win out in your parenting, right? You have God's Word to help you. Meditate, think about, focus in on the gospel in your own life, in the, in the sinful state of your own heart and help your kids to see you're not a perfect parent. There's only been one perfect parent. You know who that is? God the Father. Only one perfect child, God the Son. You're not perfect. You're not even good because no one is good but God. And you're only righteous because of what? Jesus Christ's righteousness. So we're sinners ourselves and we sin and we confess our sins to our kids in an appropriate age level, right? But mama, you say, go to your son, your daughter, and say, hey, mama, I, I'm, mama or dad, you know, I'm sorry. I need to ask your forgiveness. I responded to you in anger, right? So we, we teach our kids the gospel has permeated our own lives, that Christ is Lord of our own hearts, and then we teach them how to deal with the sin in their lives. Well, there's a reason children are to obey. Look down, he says, Be obedient to your parents in all things. And by the way, that caveat, all things, if a parent tells a child to do something that's, that's um, demeaning, right? It goes against what God word, God's Word says. It's inappropriate, immoral, right? Then, then they're free to disobey. I just want to make sure we're clear on that as they get older, right? We don't have absolute authority over our kids like the, the Romans believe, the Father has absolute authority over his child, his, the child's whole life. Roman father could even sell his child into slavery up to three times, apparently. Okay, so we don't have absolute. God sets limits on your parenting. But he says, look, do this because this is well-pleasing, well-pleasing to the Lord. It's acceptable. It's good in God's eyes. Disobedient children are disobedient to God first. But we, we teach them to please the Lord, and we teach them that, that really the only way they can do that is to come to Him in faith. You see, submission to authorities in our lives, we teach our kids that it's a lifelong journey. We all have to submit to authorities in our lives. So we're teaching our kids to be obedient. And the heart is the key. Without a transformed nature... 
they're just Pharisees. Right? doesn't mean that we, 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 we just give up as parents. It requires effort in training them to obey, helping them to see the gospel. Because the heart is the key. Because you know what? We're all worshipers. Think about it this way. We're all worshipers. Our kids are worshipers. We're created to worship. We either worship the, what? the one true God or we worship something of our own creation in Romans 1. Right? We, we either love God or we love the world. Our affections are either heavenward or earthward. And that's the same thing for our kids. Every moment of your life, you are a worshiper. You either choose to glorify God or you choose to what? To enjoy your fleshly desires and you choose to sin. Same thing with our kids. So let's continue. He says, not only do we teach children, and children need to be obedient to their parents, but he says, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they would not lose heart. Now, one thing about this word fathers, it's pateras, it can be translated parents, either way. So if if Paul meant it for fathers, he means it in the sense of fathers as head of their household, and so they're to direct their wives and help their wives so they both do these things. But if you want to translate it parents, you can. It's in Hebrews 11.23. It's translated when it's talking about Moses' parents. So it applies to both parents, not just fathers. So ladies, don't tune out. It applies to you too. But he said, one thing to remember though, like I said before, is fathers had absolute authority. They could, they could sell their kids into slavery. Well, Paul doesn't mention that, Father, you have this absolute legal right. But he, he, makes, he says, look, make it a practice, parents, make it a practice not to exasperate your children. What does exasperate mean? Exasperate means what? To irritate, to embitter, to excite, to make resentful. Parents, he's reminding you that God has established limits to your authority. God has given you to them as stewards of their lives. You'll be held accountable. You're to teach them about His authority, about His love. You're not to take for granted or abuse your power or your control over them. You can make your kids do things and you can do it in a way that exasperates them. Berating your kids in public is one of those things. I think about my next-door neighbor, and I, I love my next-door neighbor. We grew up together. We had a really harsh father. And I remember one time, his father told him to go clean the driveway. He was to sweep the driveway and blow it off. And, I mean, I, I know I was, I was young. I was probably 10 years old. And I remember him doing that. And I remember thinking, oh, that's a pretty good job. But his dad went out there, and his dad went there and got on his hands and knees and pointed out every piece of pine straw, every piece of grass that was on the driveway. And then after he got done, he got up and he made his son do it again. You know, exasperate your kids. Then be a harsh parent. Look, parents, God has given our kids to us to teach, instruct, love. They're, we're stewards of their lives. And what a joy that is. I'd like to give you some ways really quickly of ways you can exasperate your kids. Just from things that I think about myself and things I've read, just really quickly, you can be overly strict without trusting your kid as they grow older. Right? There's that trust scale. The more they learn, the more they show themselves obedient, the more we can trust them right? as they get older in the teenage years. We can have elevated expect- expectations that can never be met. Right? It's a four-year-old, expectations for a four-year-old should be very different than an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old. We can move the goal. We can can tell our kids to do something, and then when they do it, we can say, you know what, that's not good enough. We can have unjust rules or or live in a home with no rules. We can make comparisons to siblings and say, oh, look at that person, or look at that kid, look the way they look, look the way they're doing. Kids are different. We can abuse our kids, neglect our kids. We can have unjust or severe discipline or even a lack of consistent discipline. We can have a lack of love and nurture. We can nag our kids. We can continually criticize our kids. We can fail to show affection verbally or hugs physically. We cannot listen to them. We can fail to provide for them. But Paul says, look, turn back over to Ephesians. I want to show you what he says. He says, instead of, instead of exasperating our kids, he says, what are you to do? You're to, we're to discipline them. We're to instruct them in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 6. We're to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We're to, we're to teach them discipline means to nurture them, to, to train them for godliness. That's what we're to do. We're to, we're to train them who God is. What's God's nature? How has He revealed Himself in His Word? 
What's God's standard? What's their condition? Who are they? They're looking to you for these answers. Right? Christ's sacrifice for their, their sin is the answer to their disobedient hearts. One thing I need to say, and I think this is key, when you think about parental methods, there are only two passages in the New Testament regarding parenting. Right? Every parent's methodology may be different. Yours is not better than someone else's. And if you're not doing what somebody else is doing, so what? Right? You may not be catechizing your kids. Right? There are certain levels that you need to have. There needs to be, what, there needs to be prayer time, there needs to be scripture reading, there needs to be some family worship. But how that works out, it's up to you as parents because of your schedules. If you need to do it in the morning, do it in the morning. If you do it at night, do it at night. If you want to read to your kids before they go to bed or read to them in the mornings, do it. There's only two passages and they don't tell you exactly what you need to do. The methodology is yours as long as you focus on the key ingredients. What? Teaching them who God is, sinfulness, and their need for a Savior. Right? Don't feel guilty, parents, if you're not doing a certain thing that somebody else is doing. One thing I say about that, don't, don't feel guilty, parents, if you're not homeschooling. In the States, homeschooling is big. And at times, there are a lot of parents, oh, I wish I could homeschool for financial reasons, for um, single parents. My mom was a single parent. I have a, a place in my heart for single parents. You, you can't homeschool. Maybe you can't even send your kids to a Christian school. Right? The, the circumstances we live in, they don't guarantee salvation. Right? We, we train our kids based on God's Word to the best of the ability in, the, in each individual circumstance. And each individual kid is different. I've known kids, kids I've known parents that they'll homeschool one kid because they, they realize where their heart is, and then the other kid's free to go to public school because they know they can trust that, guy, that child. Right? Every kid is different. Every situation is different. Don't feel guilty if you do what other parents do, okay? Your, your decisions as a parent, the, the way you bring up your kids, the way you train your kids is going to be different than somebody else based on your own experience. And, and, this, and this is important, is that the way, the way we, the environment that we surround our kids with is not a guarantee of salvation, right? As parents, that's a hard truth, we want the best for our kids. And I know you'd love for me to get up here and say, hey, if you do all these things, you follow all this methodology, your kids are guaranteed to be saved. I know plenty of couples that have older kids that are not believers and they grew up in a great Christian home. As a, as a youth minister for a long time, as a college pastor, I can tell you there's plenty of parents that they did a great job and their kids, they grew up and they decided they wanted their sin. I have a friend of mine who's a pastor. His son's a teenage in his teenage years, and decided he wanted to smoke marijuana, he wanted to do, uh, he wanted to, to be defiant and disobedient, and his father, because of his son's defiance and the, and the terrible example they said, his father ultimately had to kick him out of his home when he turned 18 and said, all right, son, you want to not live by my rules, then you want to live by your own rules and not follow God's commands. You're going you're gonna to enjoy your sin like the prodigal son, but you're going to do it on your own. We'll pray for you, we love you, we'll support you, we'll be here for you, but you've chosen this sinful lifestyle, and that's what you've chosen. And these, these are godly parents. It's not a guarantee. But as parents, it doesn't mean we just say, oh, well, I'm not going to do anything if I can't be guaranteed of the result. We trust God. We pray for our kids. We teach our kids. So, but don't compare yourself. Don't be fearful. Leave the results to God. It goes through anything. We share the gospel with people. We can't save somebody on the street. I'm doing one-on-one evangelism or meet somebody in the shops. I can't save them. Right? I can't save my kids. Right? We have personal preferences, and they're all based on our own choices as family members. So don't feel guilty. So that's discipline. And instruction is correction and warning. It's a dialogue about sin. It's teaching them, reminding them of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a youth minister, I had these, these two girls, and they were early teenage years, and we were talking about sin and we were talking about, I was reading passages, particularly Corinthians, about drunkards and adulterers and homosexuals and liars, thieves. And, and I was talking about, you know, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. And one of these girls raised her hand and said, well, you know, I'm not guilty of, of, all the, of any of those things. So she grew up in a Christian home, but what she was guilty of what? Pride. And she looked down on others who, who had less uh, or more visible sins. 
You see, outwardly she was obedient and contrite and she was religious, but inside she was a Pharisee. So we bring our kids into discipline and instruction. We rebuke them, we correct them. And how that plays out in your individual families, you have the freedom to choose. But bring them back to the gospel and not just pure obedience for obedience sake. Correcting their behavior without teaching them the sin underlying it produces Pharisees. So just some general thoughts as we wind down. First of all, there's no guarantee. No guarantees. Right? That's a hard truth for me as a parent. I love my kids. and I'm investing a lot of my life in my kids. There's no guarantee. God hasn't promised me that He would save my kids. Psalm 115, as Peter preached on recently, but our God is in the heavens and He does whatever He pleases. It's a hard truth. Jonah 2.9 and Psalm 37.39, salvation is from the Lord. The best environments don't always produce Christians. But remember, you're not responsible for your child's sin or their salvation. You're to train them, but they are responsible for their sin alone. You're helping them to identify that sin. God alone saves. Don't feel guilty, too, if your child chooses a sinful path. Right? There's, there's no such thing as a, a bad parent from a Christian standpoint. If you apply in these principles and you're teaching them about the gospel and you're teaching about their sin, some kids still will choose to sin. My buddy's kid is a great example. Right? We model the Christian home and what it should look like with Christ-like love, but realize that kids make their own choices. Right? And that doesn't mean also one thing to be careful about as you get older. If your child chooses to sin, doesn't mean you go easy on them and you say, oh, well, you know, I, was a, I wasn't as good parent as I could have been. Well, of course you weren't. Right? You're, you're a sinner. But they had advantages, just like my friend's, uh, friend's son. He had the advantages of being in church, of learning the gospel. Their other children in their family are saved. Or, or know the Lord. He had all the advantages of that and he still chose to disobey. Model a Christian home what it should look like. Love your kids, right? Love your kids. Teach them about God. Teach them about His law, about their need for a Savior, and trust Him with the results. You'll never be perfect. Leave the fear and the guilt with God and trust in Him, right? Love your kids. I read an article of a man named Raphael Samuel from India. He announced his plans for an unusual lawsuit. He was going to sue his parents for giving birth to him. He says, it was not my decision to be born. And, quote, human existence is totally pointless, end quote. He holds to a philosophy called antinatalism. They say that life is not a gift, but rather a harm or an imposition. Because of life's inevitable suffering, procreation will always be wrong. This philosophy and others like it, they, they see the groanings of creation and they see the, the decay of society and they see the evil in the world, but they lack the truth to understand it. They, the truth is reality as God sees it, how God defines reality. They lack the biblical framework for dealing with their environment and dealing with the evil in the world and their response is, I should never have been born. Brothers and sisters, it is your job to raise your kids to know about God and themselves in this world. It's your job to give them that biblical framework to understand the world we live in. How they respond ultimately is between them and God. But Christ is glorified when children obey their parents. They learn submission to authority. And Christ is glorified when Christian parents what, teach their kids about who He is and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The bottom line, love your kids, appreciate them, knowing that you are stewards and you're shepherds of their lives. Make most of the time you have given. Older parents, grandparents, or sorry, ask older parents and grandparents, your kids, they won't be little for long. My wife and I were talking about before we moved, we celebrated Christmas with our kids, and then, then we moved to Australia, and this is our first Christmas uh, in Australia. But I, I was kind of melancholy as I was thinking about, you know, kids, when they turn about four years old, they finally kind of get Christmas at least a little bit. 
But you think about it, and, and not to make you all sad, but really you only get about eight Christmases before, nine Christmases for their young adults. And that wonder and excitement is gone, right? Eight or nine Christmases. Make the most of your time that you have with your young kids. Enjoy them. Love them. All right, seasoned citizens, you still have a role to play. I don't think I'm all talking about young parents. Seasoned citizens, you have a great role to play. My grandfather made a huge impact in my life when my dad was, was killed. Right? My dad passed. My grandfather was a huge person in my life, teaching me about God and His Word. Older folk, you have a huge role to play. Help the parents. Give them the wisdom that you've accumulated over the years, biblical wisdom. Help them to avoid the mistakes that you made. Those without kids. Look, we, when Beth and I didn't have kids, we, we implanted ourselves, whether they liked it or not, and, and friends of ours, and got involved in their lives and, and helped them with their kids the best we could. If anything, giving them a break. Single parents, like I said before, you have a special place in my heart because my mom raised three kids as a single parent, and I know how hard that is. It's difficult working two jobs like my mom did to provide for her kids and doing the best she can and, and basically having very little time to teach us about God. She brought us to church. My mom's a, a believer and godly woman and she taught us basic principles. She had a lot, little time for us because she was working on hard as she could to provide for us. Single parents, know that God gives you grace. Know that there's help in the church and others. Rest all of us rest in knowledge that no matter what circumstances we deal, whether it's ideal or less than ideal, our salvation is in God's hands. And our kids' salvation is in their hand, or in His hands. Right? To God be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we, we're challenged and confronted by our own inadequacies as parents. Lord, we, we know that we're sinful, that we're not perfect. How often we come to You and cry out and ask Your forgiveness for our own sin. And then we see that sin and reflect it in our kids. Lord, help us to teach our kids to be obedient. Help our kids to understand that they must obey, that it's a command from You. Help us to teach our kids of Your standard and their lack of ability, just like our lack of ability to live righteous and obey that standard. Help us to teach our kids and show them grace. Show them the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, give us strength. Help us not to provoke or just cause our kids to have bitterness and anger and resentment against us. But help them to see that we love them and that we care for them. And that it's because of our love that we guide them, we train them, that, that we actually discipline them, that we care about them, that they turn not away from you. Lord, we leave our, our children in your hands, trusting you that you will save them. Lord, help us to be good stewards of their lives. Help us to enjoy our kids, to love our kids, not to look at them as, as hindrances to our lifestyles, but to realize that you and you alone have given them into our hand, the precious little lives that they are. Oh, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.